because, of course, we're in a very volatile weather situation right now. The National Weather Service in Paducah has issued a tornado warning for Marshall County, Kentucky, Southwestern Lyon County, Kentucky. I'm meteorologist Noah Berger, and we're under a blizzard warning for extremely heavy snow. Hey, good Wednesday evening. I'm Jennifer Ocavina. I am a meteorologist Noah Berger, and alongside the one, the only Jennifer Ocavina. That's right. You can say my this. name twice. <laughs> Wednesday evening edition, November 28th. It's That's now right. post-Thanksgiving. It is, and by some act of God, I am not 10 pounds heavier after all the food. After the eat wave that ensued? Yes, <laughs> the eat wave that you predicted <laughs> yes. did come true. Hey, how about that? A long-range forecast that came to fruition. A, uh, Verified. A good <laughs> Yes, a 100% verification. And also, it's the... Uh, we're now to conference championship weekend for those of you college football fans, as we know there's so many of you out oh, there. What a glorious weekend it was. So even though Ohio State's still going to miss the playoff, you know, there's a big weekend coming up on uh, this weekend. Mm, not so sure Penn State will be in any kind of good bowl, but thanks for coming. Just as long as it's not up in the Northeast, <laughs> we'll be good. If it's above He's 70, already slinging grenades across the weather pod right now. You know, don't laugh. We could end up playing Kentucky in the Nobody Cares Bowl. You know, that's true. Not, you know, Kentucky would be like that'd be the biggest game in a long time for Kentucky. But you know, Penn State would be like, yeah. I'm pretty sure Ohio State will still be in the top ten. So, hang on, Sloopy. So yeah, I just became a big Northwestern fan for this coming weekend. <clears throat> but nonetheless, it's been a roller coaster of sorts the past couple of days. I say uh, after Thanksgiving, I was in for Jen on what was that Friday? Yes. And Friday we were in this. I mean, Thanksgiving turned into. Thanksgiving turned into just a gem. I mean, it was sunny here, uh, not a cloud. It was Jen put on the. Jen has me saying now N A C I T S, which nackets. I got. Yeah, na what, what nackets. What'd you call me? Oh, the abbreviation. Oh, nackets, yeah. not a cloud not in, in the, the sky. sky. Uh, here, I mean, it was bone chilling cold in the Northeast. My family was not particularly happy. Yeah, but the parade here, was record cold. Yeah, for they believe Amazing it or not, if, if you didn't know, those of you listening. Um, New York City has had its coldest ball drop from New Year's Eve night at midnight, and now its coldest um, Macy's Day parade ever in recorded history yeah. ever in the same year. Like, it's crazy that they've happened within six months. It'll be cr interesting to see what this Christmas and uh, New Year's bring. So just, I, I'm willing to guess that Christmas this year will be, uh, a colleague Snowy? of mine says a torch. It'll be 75 and sunny on Christmas and New Year's this year. But um, we'll touch on that more with our special guest who will be joining us in just a second. But Speaking of which, our topic today, Yes. dare I say I woke up feeling a little dangerous this morning. Okay, Baker. <laughs> dangerous because this is such a dangerous topic to explore with an open mind, and that's what we're hoping for tonight. And that would be uh, extreme weather and climate, climate change, change, which is a... Always a big topic to discuss, and a little bit more so with the recent release of the National Climate Report the day after Thanksgiving from the White House, which we'll uh, get much more into depth berry. here. Uh, a little bit, just to say the least, but we'll get more into that in just a second. But without further ado, I wanted to bring in our special guest who very nicely has joined us tonight on short notice. That is 
Bernadette Woods from Climate Central and a big Penn State alum. <coughs> we are Penn State alum, who I'm very happy to have on, uh, who's an Emmy Award-winning meteorologist, and she's now the director of Climate Central's Climate Matters program. And it's within that that she works with meteorologists from all over the place, uh, linking that uh, the science between climate change and weather, and she does also have a background in broadcast meteorology. So without further ado, Bernadette, take it away. Hi, Bernadette. Well, hello, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want to expand on your football conversation for a minute because <laughs> I was at the Penn State game yes. this past weekend. This and is why you're here, yes. I mean, talk about crazy weather. We started out with freezing rain during the tailgate, and as the storm sort of just rotated right on top of central Pennsylvania. Temperatures got above freezing, so it did change over to rain at about 33, 34 degrees, but oh, all I could keep thinking about was if that was snow, that would have been amazing. Cold rain is the worst. <laughs> oh, I know. I can imagine. But most importantly, you said you tailgated, so you were able to get through the storm just fine. Yes, we sure were. <laughs> and we geared up nicely, because as I always said on air, there's no bad weather, just poor clothing choices, and that's we right. chose wisely. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I'll bet you look just great. <laughs> <laughs> With that Penn State Function before fashion. <laughs> All right, let's get to the topic of interest tonight. Uh, we have you joining us because um, we started talking about what our what our topic would be for this week, and we decided on extreme weather and climate change specifically uh, because the National Report came out um, this last Friday. So it's current times. It's in the news right now. Um, but it's just so general to refer to it as the climate report. There's so much more that goes into it. There's so many people that are involved in reviewing the work, putting it together, making sure it's sound, making sure... It's relatable by those that are going to read it. Um, and I read that um, the past report in 2014, there was some criticism about the fact that it didn't localize the impacts. That it was more of just this broad brush global uh, description of what might happen. And this time, this go around, the U.S. Uh, released this report and it was localized. Is that how you see it? Well, there is a lot that we can start unpacking. There's a few advancements that have really happened with this one. As you said, these are massive multi-year assessment reports. So what they do is they go out and they bring in all the established science on every one of these topics from the fundamental physics of it to the impacts to what are some of the solutions and adaptation measures people are taking and pull this all together. Now, it is a congressionally mandated report coming out from our federal government. As you said, hundreds of scientists working on this and across 13 federal agencies. So this is not something that's done lightly. Now, the first volume of this came out last year at this time, and that was called the Climate Science Special Report. So they really sort of extracted that volume and laid out the pure physics and got into the guts of it from that side. So it's really the foundation for everything we know and understand. And with this volume, which really folds into the full package of the National Climate Assessment, they were able to apply it. They were able to apply it to these local impacts, to what that really means for people in Kentucky, for the farmers, for people working in tourism and different sorts of recreation industry. And then they even take that a little step further with really honing in on local data. So they, they were able to advance a lot of things, both in their approach to it, but also because the science just continues to advance too. Okay. First of all, let's let's 
address something. Let's get back to the basics, if you will. Um, before we get into those impacts, the adaptation of, um, tell me the basic science behind global warming, specifically global temperature and carbon dioxide. So the most basic level of why we're so convinced everything is happening is because we understand the greenhouse effect. This is well-established science that goes back to the early 1800s. No one challenges that there is a greenhouse effect around our Earth. That's why we established life on this planet and we're different than other planets because one, our distance from the sun, but two, that mixture of gases which is able to keep sustainable temperature to support life. And it's that balance that has been so established, but that we're actually messing with now. And this is stuff that started during the industrial age by spewing up more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and sort of altering the mixture and the composition and the the chemistry in our atmosphere. However, we've learned since the start of the industrial revolution, as we've been able to really measure those individual greenhouse gases in our atmosphere, that we know these numbers are going up and we know what they do. They trap heat. So as we add more greenhouse gases to really get back to the basics, we know that that traps heat and that leads to a whole host of cascading impacts that we can get into. Okay. So we have showing right now the, Mm -hmm. the, uh, the graph trend that shows temperature and carbon dioxide and how they coincide together and, um, Something I want to note there, too, is, of course, that graph goes back to 1880, but we are able to capture our environment back way much further when you look at ice core sampling. And that's what a lot of climate scientists focus in on to know exactly how past climates were and how our climate now is different because of the human footprint. You're exactly correct. And this is what I don't think gets out enough is the story of science and how people actually learn this stuff. And I think it's so fascinating. We have ice cores. We also have sediment cores. And these are scientists that go down to the deep lakes that have gone back for thousands and thousands and millions of years able to pull up what's on the bottom of those lakes. We can also go into trees that have been around for different varying lifespans and pull out chunks of those trees that are called tree cores too. And so what we're able to do is really piece together a puzzle of what our earth was like hundreds of thousands to millions of years ago. So I'll take each one a little bit differently here. The ice cores, what happens is that as snow falls, it eventually mounts up into these layers of ice. And we can take this core, it's it's really, they just dig right down into the basics of these glaciers and they pull a whole big tube up and then from the bubbles that were captured from the different layers of snow and ice over the years as it compacted we're able to see what was in the atmosphere during those different time frames and so that's one way to get a sense of what was happening at the poles now the sediment cores and also the tree cores give us a better sense of what was happening in some of the mid-latitudes and when you piece all of that together we have a really vibrant picture of going back hundreds of thousands of years and we see that every time carbon dioxide was on the increase, the temperature responded and went way up. Now, a lot of these things did happen by natural cycles. However, it just confirms our concept that we understand what carbon dioxide does. So as we're adding more of it to the atmosphere, we understand what that's doing. And so a lot of what we're seeing now is when you compare 
paleoclimatology, if you will, um, to now. We've been warm like this in the past, but we've never warmed this fast. Is that right? That is one of the big things. Honestly, there have been times that we have been this warm. They're rare. And we haven't had human life on this planet as we know it. And we sure as heck have not had cities and civilizations built up the way that we do now. So we have been this warm, but we've never really tested what that does to humans. And then on top of it, even though there have been these changes, as you've said, they've never happened as quickly as they're happening right now. So as things over time have been able to adapt humans and different ecosystems, we're not giving us the chance to adapt because it's happening on a scale we've never seen. Okay, so go ahead. Now, um, this past Thanksgiving and the past um, couple of weeks, as you mentioned when we started off, we know that um, it was record cold in the Northeast, and I know at least a lot of my family and friends, uh, just to switch gears a little bit, but to stay on this topic, um, Obviously, the record cold in recorded history in New York City. But at that same time, last week, the end of last week, the entire globe as a whole was still way above average. So um, even though in a warming climate, it seems to be that the Northeast United States still encounters more of these anomalous cold shocks, if you will. Well, what's really happening is, one, it's big news that it was record cold because we just don't get record cold very much anymore. It just doesn't happen. We have record heat after record heat after record heat event, and it's becoming such dull news to people that when we do swing around to record cold, it is really big news. Mm. And it was cold. It absolutely was. It did set records. But that's when we get into the difference of weather and climate. You know, we're still going to have hot and cold. It's just the frequency and the expanse and how long they stick around. I mean, this is a colder than normal November for a lot of the United States. But as you said, one, when you look at the whole globe, that's not the case. Two, when you look at it with respect to other months that have been so incredibly warm this year, it really dwarfs that out with the, the cool we're seeing right now and in some cases record cold. But then there's another way we look at this too is if you sort of just tally up those record heat versus record cold events over time there's a guy um guy is his name actually Walton who does a lot of research on this and keeps a tally and it's incredible I mean each year has its own little difference but just how much more the record heat and the heat records just these daily numbers tailing up are beating out the record cold events Mm -hmm. year after year after year after year and that's the thing over time those would balance themselves out but they're just not yeah that totally i was just about to ask you what you thought about that but um certainly being a new broadcast meteorologist and new to the field and um, having moved to kentucky i wanted to ask you a question now about uh touching on your background as a broadcast meteorologist and on the heels of this new report and what we've just been talking about the past few minutes with uh despite there being uh record cold temperatures on thanksgiving in the big i-95 cities in the northeast the frequency and number of record heat days is far outpacing that of the record cold uh how do you think is the best way to portray or communicate um this change of um much more warmer weather and evolving weather in a warming climate in a, in particular where we are here in Kentucky in a red state, you know, because it can be difficult at times to explain this to people, uh, especially here at our station being in a red state in a pretty much red area across southern Illinois, southeast Missouri, and west Kentucky. 
Well, I did spend some time in Kentucky. I worked in Lexington for a couple of years, and you know, I it's such a great state. It's mm. so much fun. Um, but the thing is. It has become political, but climate change is something that's already affecting all of us, and it's only going to get worse as we move forward. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what political party you are. You care about clean water. You care about clean air. You want to keep your family safe. You want affordable and reliable food. And all of this is at risk right now with climate change. So one of the ways I think really to cut through the noise is not necessarily to focus on that part of it. Now, there are policy discussions to be had, and I'm not trying to be naive to that, and I'm not trying to ignore that. That is a part of what needs to be discussed to solve some of the issues. But from your side, and from just having the discussion with people, it's peel off those layers and get to what matters to people and really get to the guts of how science is affecting that. I mean, a few things just to highlight in Kentucky alone, I mean, bourbon. It's a big part of Kentucky's identity. And if you look at how climate change is affecting some of the key ingredients, they're really upping the risk for the reliability of corn going forward with these massive swings in heat and drought to these just flooding rain events. And when we look at our corn crop, and we know with bourbon, it has to be at least 50% corn to be considered bourbon, you know, there's some risks on the reliability of that crop, and that will play into this. Also, the water quality is a big part of making bourbon, and that, you know, we're upping our risks for bacteria and the reliability of water going forward, and also one of the fastest warming seasons for Kentucky is winter. And a lot of people think, well, that's great. It's, it's not going to be as cold, but our agriculture really depends on having that cool season. It preps our crops for the next year so that we can get really the proper budding and production on them. And it also, it, it kills off a lot of the pests and bugs so that we can have sort of this fresh start again in the spring, and we need that to have these proper ingredients. So that's just one example. I mean, there are many examples we could really pull up on how this is affecting people right here in Kentucky. Uh, absolutely. And one thing, too, that I have found that um, at least opens the door a little bit, because it is difficult to communicate and talk about climate change. But as you said, if you don't necessarily slam it in their face that – we're in global warming. That's what's happening and, and kind of being aggressive about it. It's more about uh, communicating the lifestyle impacts, as you said. Um, you know, Kentucky leads the way in asthma suffering and allergies, and those are directly impacted by a warmer environment and aggravated as well as um, some of our local economies, like fishing as well as agriculture, like you mentioned there, groundwater as well. Um, I think having an open and honest conversation, because obviously in the state of Kentucky, we're talking about this is a heavy coal state. You have a lot of generational families that, and Southern Illinois, Kentucky, generational families that have worked in those mines and take a lot of pride in that family history. And that's understandable. That would be understandable in any line of work. And I think it's just having a uh, non-aggressive conversation and having kind of a, a meet-in-the-middle kind of conversation about the topic um, to disarm some of the, um, I don't know, some of, some of the stigma that's attached to talking about climate change. 
I'm so glad you brought up the coal sector, too, because that is an identity issue for many people, and it should be. They should be proud of all of the great work they've done, and it is the Industrial Revolution that got us to this point. The thing is, we know a little bit more now, and this is why if we can actually have that honest conversation, and this is where policy would come in, we could plan for the best ways to bring the coal community into some of the cleaner technology, cleaner energy technologies that are really, they're, they're sprouting up everywhere and there are opportunities in there. But if we can't just have that honest, good conversation, then people are going to get left in the dark and that's just not fair. I mean, think about it. If you put wind turbines up, that requires people actually doing the work on the ground getting their damn, their hands dirty and getting up there. And we need people that are trained in doing that because there's a lot of opportunity there. Even the Kentucky coal mine put solar panels on its roof. And they do that because there's opportunity in the solar. And Well, they did it because they were saving money. But what I mean is there's also opportunity in the solar inter- industry too. So we have to have that honest conversation and how we can bring everybody along in this cleaner society, cleaner technology, cleaner energy society moving forward. Uh, so one of the things that this report and the previous report too highlights in our region is there are about 160,000 people in the state of Kentucky that are at risk for inland flooding. Inland flooding gets in the uh, future preparedness. I'm not talking about response, but uh, mitigation for future events um, and the preparedness for that gets a near failing grade in the state. Um, And that's one of our biggest concerns and at most risk for when it comes to disasters. Well, this is a a huge topic, as as Jen and I have had many conversations about. I know Jen has done a great job bringing this into her broadcast. And as you were saying, how how do you start these conversations? Now, this is one that, that people are, they're seeing it. And people do have questions and they're looking for answers. And this is where there's the opportunity to bring that science to the conversation because we are already seeing a huge increase in the number of heavy rain events, not just rain, but heavy rain events, events that cause the erosion, that cause the flooding, that cause the infrastructure damage and really break up some of these communities along the river. So that is something that we're already experiencing. This is not a future distant threat. The thing is, as we look toward the future, it's only going to intensify. So again, we need to have these very real conversations of what we can do to one, adapt to the situation that's already in place and, and, and is a growing risk. And then two, how we can lower that risk by lowering some of our emissions or our impact on the earth. So this is a big conversation that has to be had on on a lot of different sectors. And some really truly are already having this conversation. Just as as you said, there's, there's a stigma and this politicization, it became so political over time that sometimes people just don't even want to go there with an open mind. And so that's, these are the reasons we need to advance this conversation. Now, uh, how do you think we can specifically uh, attribute these heavier downpours to climate change? Now, I know uh, we're showing a graph here from Climate Central of uh, weather trends, and obviously we have much more uh, reliability in that of temperature and uh, measurement of precipitation, but we have much lower confidence in that of, let's say, severe weather and tornadoes and hail. 
Exactly. So temperature is pretty straightforward. We understand that if you add more heat, temperatures go up. And we have pretty good records to show that. When we look at uh, precipitation, one of the reasons we're so incredibly confident in that is this is, we're going we're gonna to get geeky with the science, but there's specific equations, the Clausius-Clapeyron equation, where we know that when we have a warmer atmosphere or space, it is able to hold essentially more water in it. And we have this globe that is primarily made of water, over 70% water. And so it's evaporating more. So when it comes down in these triggers of these rain events, there's just more to come down. And we have good data on that too. Then the reason some of the confidence really starts to drop off with something like tornadoes is, you know, even in weather forecasts, let alone looking out in in, in bigger time scales, you know, there's there's still there's still a lot we're trying to learn about tornadoes themselves in, in a regular forecast. You know, what exactly triggers that tornado or what doesn't? So there's still a lot that we're understanding with those, even on the smaller scale. But when we go out for the longer scales to understand some maybe some trends within this, uh, a few things we are confident with with tornadoes are we know warmer atmospheres and more moisture tend to set the stage for bigger, stronger thunderstorms, correct? Those are some of your main ingredients, right? Right. Exactly. And so one of the other elements, though, is we need shear. We need that twist in the atmosphere to spin up a tornado. Now, that's a question of what's happening in our atmosphere going forward with that spin. And that gets into some of the research that that people are looking at right now with the jet stream and how it may be changing with climate change. You know, there's there there is some indications that it is slowing down and becoming wavier. So, I mean, we, we could get really geeky in on that, and it's very active research, but that is a question going forward. Then the other thing with tornadoes is, you guys, I'm sure, have educated your audience many times on, is... is You know, it it was just 1950 where we weren't even allowed to say tornado in a forecast. Right. Like, we've learned so much and we've come a long way. Our reporting has gone up. Our criteria has increased and how we report these and how we classify these. So the data set is not quite as long with tornadoes as it is with temperature. Or even hurricanes. Hurricanes are even longer. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's a lot that we understand from the physics of it. And that's why there's indications that, just because we don't fully understand what a warming world is doing to tornadoes, it doesn't mean nothing's happening. We're just still really starting to understand that. And again, this is to get a little geeky and nuanced, but there's some research coming out from Harold Brooks and others of a few things. One, one thing we may be seeing in the data, not confidently yet, but may be seeing in the data is that when we actually have these tornado outbreak days, we're getting bigger, stronger tornadoes on those days. So it may not mean more tornado days, but when we actually start pumping them out, that they could be worse days. Another thing is it may be shifting some seasons that when we get into timeframes that aren't usually as susceptible to tornadoes or we we don't look at as a tornado season as much, that we're starting to see more and more tornadoes be reported in, in some of those seasons. And actually some of these primary zones that have always been in the past considered the, the standard tornado zones may be shifting east too. There's some research into that. So it's it's really fun from the scientific point to understand that and look at this, but from the, the communication to the public, it's still very active research and, and there's still a lot to be learned. Oh my gosh. So I have never seen so a higher frequency of wintertime tornadoes 
in Wisconsin and Michigan as I've had over the te- past 10 years or so. It's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, again, this is... Those are those big is, warm-ups, though. That's that... You've got that real amplified jet stream, and, and you're going to see more of that as you lose that constant cold in the Arctic. If you don't have that constant up there all winter long, you're going to get those wild whiplash jet streams. Yeah, that, I mean, that is, a, that is what's so interesting with this. But also what's scary with it is that people who are in tornado areas have an indication of when to be aware of certain things and, and when to look out for those extra cues and when something might be worse. It's just kind of, you grow up with it, you right. know? But you don't think about it in January as much. So that's where it gets a little scary is just making sure that we keep people prepared for these types of things. Now, speaking on the tornado narrative, it's uh, good we touch upon this because um, this summer in Connecticut, um, where I'm from and my my roots are, um, there's a colleague and good friend of mine, uh, Ryan Hanrahan, who's a meteorologist at NBC Connecticut, who is a nuts with this kind of climatology. You know, he's incredibly smart with it. But he was telling me... He really is. Ryan is pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) He was telling... Now, I'm sure you're much more uh, knowledgeable about this than I am, but maybe you can comment on it. In Connecticut specifically, this summer and this season, uh, there's been more tornadoes in Connecticut than in a long time. It's been one of the most, the highest frequency. You know, we've had the most amount of tornadoes in Connecticut in almost ever. Um, and in southeastern Connecticut, right near uh, Rhode Island, in our southeasternmost county, New London County in Connecticut, there's only ever been two tornadoes there, and the two previous have occurred in the previous century. And there was only, uh, this was one this summer there. Um, but, however, correct me if I'm wrong, the general trend in tornadoes has kind of been more or less not increasing or decreasing over the past 50 years. Is that true or to some extent or speaking off what you said before? Yeah, they're, they're, they're I mean, I stand to be corrected on some of this, but what, from what I've seen is no strong trends in, 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 in necessarily in that. People who are much more averse on the real guts of, Tornadoes such as Harold Brooks and Greg Harbin, um, and and Patrick Marshall, you know, they they've even started looking at if the EF fours, EF fives, if there may be a trend in those, and that's where there has been some indication that when we get some of these days that really pop, that there may be some of these bigger, stronger ones on those days. But again, this is, this is, this is pretty early in the numbers. And it goes back to the fact that the reliable data set also is, is just, is just not there with the tornadoes like it is with some of these other types of weather events. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I want to chime in on this one. Noah's like, no, no, no. I want to ask something. <laughs> we both want to ask these <laughs> First of all, when you said Harold Brooks, we both went, ooh, when he looks at, we looked yeah. at each other and we both had big eyes and went, ooh. <laughs> anyway. Um, chiming in on that, I think too, you're going to see those trends. It, you can't necessarily draw a tornado, single tornado event into climate change. Oh, that's because of climate change. But what you can look at here is you're getting that shift, like you said, Connecticut, Rhode Island, those areas, maybe in the Northeast that don't typically see it, maybe into Kentucky, parts of Tennessee. I think we go in cycles too, because as droughts worsen in the central plains, or you get those bouts of drought may be influenced by climate change, um, you're going to see that shift of active weather further to the east. We saw that in the 2000s, uh, the early 2000s, mid-2000s here in the Mid-South. A lot of the activity went silent in the Central Plains. They were in severe drought. 
and we saw a lot of the activity a little bit further to the east where we had ample moisture. We had all those ingredients coming together. And so I think some of those shifts that uh, people notice, uh, we definitely uh, are seeing that maybe from a result of that as well. So, um, yeah, another thing I wanted to ask you about is um, a friend of mine, actually my cousin, was uh, asked me this, and it's funny because I learned and we touched upon this a lot in my climate dynamics class with uh, Dr. Mann at Penn State. But uh, he was telling me, he asked me, and he said, uh, how is it that we can have stronger and more, you know, more storms and stronger storms in a warming climate if the earth is warming, but building on that, the poles are warming more, so we're going to decrease the horizontal temperature gradient, which uh, in theory would mean that, you know, seeing as though we're losing that bigger contrast between cold and warm near the equator, uh, that would, how can that mean stronger storms if the, you know what I mean? Hi, sorry, I dropped out for a minute, so I missed the oh, sorry. beginning of that. <laughs> oh, no, you're good. Uh, I think so, we able to hear that my last part of that question, or should I say it? I, I, I'm pretty sure, but you know, jump in if, if I if I'm not answering it entirely correct. Um, so this this gets into the jet stream research, uh, whereas we're warming the Earth, but the poles are warming so much faster than the equator, so. What drives a jet stream is really that difference in, in temperature between the poles and and the equator. And if, if it's if it's not as big a difference, then that would slow things down, sort of when you look at a river, you know. And when a river starts to slow down versus moving really fast, it starts spinning. It starts getting much more windy and taking these big bends and curves. And so what we know, at least with the jet stream, is when we get into one of those big bends or curves and it doesn't move along very quickly, then we get locked into these patterns and they really get stronger and more extreme. And so that's one of the things that we are seeing right now with some of this research. But again, it's still very active research. Um, so it, it's one of those things that's fascinating from the science point of view, but there's, there's still a lot to learn from it. And I would add, too, that we're talking about a long period of time. This right. isn't going to happen next year that the, the temperature and the cold in the Arctic unfolds, and then, and then there we are. I mean, this is, we're talking exactly. a lot of time ahead. And, but in that time span, you're going to notice over time these things changing. And that's what we're already experiencing in some of the things that were highlighted in the 2018 report, which um, I want to get back to really quickly um, what do you, what would you say are kind of your uh, big takeaways from this? Um, not just for Kentucky, but on a on a human being level, what are some of the things that we need to be preparing for and alert to? Things to keep your eyes open to. Well, I think it sounds so basic, but some of what you said earlier is just having these honest conversations uh, that. So we can, so that we have an informed public about what is actually happening and why it's happening. And then I think that can advance the conversation into what we can do, because there is a lot that has really advanced. I mean, there have been explosions in technology in the last decade of 
You know, there was a point when people said it was too expensive to solve this issue, but that's not the case anymore. We've seen that we can lower emissions, but economies can still grow. So there are solutions in place. They were at the point where it's more affordable to move along with the solutions than to continue on our current path because the price we're going to pay if we continue on this path in lives, in health, in our economy, is just getting to a point where we're not going to be able to sustain it. So it's actually cheaper to make the changes we need to make. The thing is, though, as with, between this report and the big international uh, IPCC 1.5 degree report that came out and just multiple re- massive reports on the subject matter this fall. What everyone is saying in all of them is that we need to change the way we're doing things and we need to do it fast if we want to limit the worst impacts. I mean, the impacts are already happening. We're seeing these wildfires. People are losing their lives. I mean, we've got these massive storms moving on shore, such as Hurricane Michael, that are coming in with a higher storm surge and with more rain and Florence just washing away so many communities. So this is already happening. It's to limit what is actually going to continue to happen in the future and how much worse it could get. We need to take these actions and we need to do it now. And I think that's the screaming message out of all of this. And what a lot of these reports do is help lay out how we can do some of that. We've already discussed a few topics, but there's ways on your personal level that you can change some of your lifestyle activities. There's big things that need to be done if that gets into some big gutty politics, which I'm not exactly in the position to jump all over right now. And I know that's really not the focus of this discussion. But we need all of it. We really do. And the biggest thing we could do is really have these honest discussions. How do you feel? I hate to bring this in, but it, it is a glaring, blaring point here is that, you know, bringing politics in a little bit has been the president tweeting a lot about this like when climate. He, says he doesn't believe the report. Right. Doesn't believe the report. And, you know, from my perspective, it doesn't matter what side you're on. I personally would like to see our president succeed and be a champion for the United States leading the way in climate change. And I, and recently he, he commented that, um, you know, if, you know, what are we going to do? If we're going to do something, then China and some of the other emerging economies are going to have to do that too, that are, that are high polluters. Well, I feel like that was sort of what the Paris Accord, the Paris uh, mm-hmm. Climate Pact was, and we removed ourselves from it. We are the only country not in it. It, it, is, it is a global issue. And so I feel and, like if, you know, he, he said that, but those countries have committed mm-hmm. to that. And so I, how, I don't know. I don't know how we get there. I don't know how we get back. I don't know how we come together to do this, but I think... Um, you know, a lot of it feels like it's out of everybody's hands at this point. One quick thing to, before you respond, sorry. Um, I want to also touch upon what Jen said, and if you have any credence to her comment on the white them releasing it the day after Thanksgiving. I know some people have uh, mentioned that a lot. Well, sure. That's, you know. We, uh, to be expected, but if, you know. It, it's such this, an important thing right. to, to Americans to know exactly what our, the state of our climate is and to release it the day after Thanksgiving when knowingly that's a very low-profile day 
uh, for people to be paying attention, I think that that um, that just did a disservice. What's hard is this is is hurting human beings, and it doesn't matter what party you are. It's, it's hurting all of us, and it is a global issue, and we need global action on it. Um, all of us really need to participate in this, and there is an opportunity for the United States to lead. Now, taking you back to the Paris Climate Change Agreement, it, it's such it, – you had 150 heads of state – attend the event. I mean, think about that. Even after some of our world wars, that right. is just a scale that's absolutely incredible. Unprecedented. 50 heads of state that came. You had all participating countries agree to it, and then everyone follow up with their support except for the United States. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of levels to the, the agreement. Um, what it essentially did is that the world came together saying, we are going to carve a path forward. And what was different about this particular one versus the Kyoto and some of the previous ones is they had divided up developing and developed countries into two ways in the past. And it gets, it gets pretty complicated because most of the developing countries are the ones creating most of, of, of the, the pollution sure. and, and, and the emissions. I mean, historically we're still the biggest polluters and emitters. Um, currently China is the biggest, so we're second. Um, but historically over time we've put the most out. So you've got these really small countries that are very developing countries, not big economies, that really haven't done anything and they're feeling the, the impacts the worst. So in the past, there was this huge divide of who's going to do what and a lot of finger pointing. And, and you know, it, it's a passionate thing for a lot of people. But what happened in Paris was really fascinating is each country came forth with what they thought they could do. And this is what I think gets lost in the conversation because – when Trump said he wanted to remove himself from it um, and that it wasn't fair what it was being expected by us, it's we committed we what we wanted to do. That was up to us. No one told us what we needed to put in our pledge. And every single country approached the agreement that way. Now, the, even, even if we followed through on all those commitments, it's only going to limit our global amount of warming since the pre-industrial time to three degrees Celsius. And the goal in that is to limit it to two degrees Celsius with the hope of 1.5. So two degrees Celsius for perspective is 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit. So essentially three and a half degrees. Um, so even if we actually follow through on those commitments, we're still not even getting to that goal. But the point was we all would enter this and we'd all prove we could do some of these things and then we could ramp up our actions going forward. Yeah. And this big gaping hole is really a problem, and, and this is this is a global issue. This is affecting people around the world now, and it, it really is the biggest. It is the biggest challenge of our time. It is it is the biggest challenge of our lifetime, but it's actually one that we know how to solve, and that's what can get so frustrating. The other the other element that I think sometimes gets lost in the conversation is what do we put out now. In the atmosphere, it's not something we can just stop and turn around quickly. It's not like when we decide to take these, these huge-scale actions that it's all over. Because the amount of greenhouse gases that we put into the atmosphere, for example, let's, let's say carbon dioxide, it's, it breaks up over time, but it stays in our atmosphere. These are long-lived gases, so for hundreds to thousands of years. So even if we actually stopped everything today, which, you know, is not – it's not possible. We still baked in future warming. So the longer we wait, 
the harder this is to solve yeah. and the more we have to do about it and, and the more warming we've baked in. So that's the other thing where you hear such anxiety in people's voices is because is we understand how much harder this is going to be. Okay. I mean, that, I mean, that says it all. It's mm-hmm. just, wow. And it's perspective too, which we, we desperately needed from you. And uh, we appreciate all the work that you've done and, and all the amount of resources that you make available. And for anyone that doesn't know that is listening here, um, uh, Climate Matters is a project uh, born of Climate Central. It's a website you can go to, climatecentral.org. And uh, Climate Matters is a program for broadcast meteorologists to have sound resources to provide to viewers to educate them on climate change, on lifestyle impacts uh, like mosquitoes, how a warmer environment may lead to uh, higher accounts of uh, disease cases from mosquitoes, um, how pollen and asthma uh, can be impacted by it, agriculture, like you said, um, in Kentucky, bourbon, um, beer, and hops and all of that can be impacted by it. Every single aspect of our life is impacted by the perfect balance environment that we want so badly to live in and that we try to sustain. And it's really just trying to hold on to that in the future. Well, thank you guys for having this conversation. I do think it's important that we have these conversations. And, you know, for anyone listening who has questions, feel free to reach out at any point. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, on Twitter and all these social media feeds and emails are on the website. So, you know, it's, these, these are the kinds of conversations we really need to have. And it's these kinds of things that do give me hope because we do have technologies and we do understand that by bringing down our emissions, by changing over some of our energy sources by you know there's these huge advancements going on in our transportation sector to electrifying transport and battery extensions and and lifespans and and there's so many opportunities in farming and agricultural practices to to get better soil out of some of these practices that actually retain more carbon dioxide in them And, and, and and we need to work on all of this and and we know what we need to do. It's actually just doing it. So thank you guys very much for this conversation. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Bernie. Thank you very much for uh, coming on on short notice on this uh, Wednesday evening. And uh, certainly uh, here at the station is uh, some, I'm sure you are aware with through Jennifer, but if you're not uh, through Jen and I, we are partnered with climate matters Yeah. and we do uh, do talk about this as much as we can fit into a three minute weather cast, which is how fitting why we named the podcast beyond the green screen. Because there's so much more that happens beyond just three minutes of weather. But uh, certainly, uh, as Jen's taught me and with the great team here, and I'm going to continue to do it throughout my young career, is whenever I get the chance to mention and highlight this to viewers and ex- explain that these types of events will be more frequent in a warming climate, I will certainly continue to do so. So I feel like it's very important, despite the changing, uh, changing enterprise, if you will, of local broadcast yeah. meteorology. But um, nonetheless, uh, I feel like we, you know, all the three of us could talk here for another two hours, but I know uh, you have to get going and uh, got stuff to do. Okay. So thanks for joining us, uh, Bernadette, and we'll hope to hook up soon. Sounds great. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. Okay. So, Noah, uh, wrapping this up here, too, and I'm sure Bernadette would agree, too, but, um, you know, what's so important for our takeaway of this, of course, we read what the impacts are going to be. Our job our purpose here as meteorologists is to 
take this information, see how it applies to the people that watch us and depend on us, and prepare them for what might be ahead. Because, you know, we look at how it impacts our area. Um, inland flooding, the occurrence of heavy downpours, those are, those are some big events that happen quite frequently here. And those are the things that we need to better prepare mm -hmm. our viewers for, the people in Western Kentucky, Southern Illinois, Southeast Missouri, Northwest Tennessee. We live in an area where waterways, rivers, and lakes are a big industry here and mean a lot to our local people. So I think that's, you know, that's our biggest purpose in all the takeaway mm -hmm. of this uh, big climate report. And uh, we'll keep you up to date, uh, those of our viewers here who are listening over the next couple of weeks, months, years, as this happens. Uh, Jen and I are very uh, very heavily rooted in the science and the climate side of things. Jen obviously has many connections and uh, has worked with people like Bernadette before. So uh, this will be something we continue to highlight and touch upon. This will not be the only time we talk about it. But um, without further ado, I will sign off here on this Wednesday, November 28th, 2018, almost December, almost the new year, the uh, Christmas tree being lit up tonight in Rockefeller Center Oh yeah. on uh, NBC. So that is <laughs> something you could put on right as soon as you're done listening to us and flip on uh, Local 6 or NBC and uh, watch that. That is uh, certainly the time of the year to put those uh, winter hats on and uh, decorate the Christmas tree. So. Hey, and a friendly reminder here at the end, December 19th, join us at yes. McCracken County Public Library, we're going to be doing a winter reading night with the Weather yep. Authority. All four of us will be there reading our favorite winter theme books to kiddos. Of course, it's free. And uh, we'll have cookies and some hot chocolate, 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 chocolate. and Saskatchewan, uh, maybe. Oh, yes, those are my favorite. Um, <laughs> and then some our Weather Authority calendars will Which be available there. Which are popular demand. Yes. Those will be there. So uh, join us for that. And until next Wednesday, have a good night.